All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of Southeast News Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, I welcome in uh, Nathaniel Rutherford, who is the managing editor for RockyTopInsider.com. We talk about a lot of different stuff uh, within Tennessee basketball, uh, as well as some other uh, intriguing aspects when it comes to just uh, basketball coverage, uh, not only in the SEC, but around the country as well. Um, So we talk a little bit about, certainly, the the coaching situations there at Tennessee. We did mention uh, a little bit as well about the the Tennessee Lady Vols uh, coaching situation as they just hired a new coach and kind of just looking at that program moving forward. And then, of course, the Rick Barnes situation uh, here recently as UCLA uh, had serious interest in trying to to lure him uh, to be the next coach of the Bruins. So we talked about kind of how things played out there with that. Went into the roster a bit, not only just looking at this season uh, and what Tennessee was able to accomplish, but also looking ahead to potentially what things could look like uh, next season for the Vols as they try to continue to build on that success with Barnes back in the mix and still plenty of unknowns when it comes to the roster. And we also had a discussion just on the nature of of covering SEC sports right now, not just from a basketball perspective, uh, but being a beat writer in, in this era and trying to chase down all the different things you have to do uh, to do that, as well as just covering all sorts of different sports. And Nathaniel gives some uh, fascinating insight just into that process, what the most exciting things are for him, and what are also some of the biggest challenges uh, that come along with it. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with RockyTopInsider.com Managing Editor Nathaniel Rutherford. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Tubes podcast. As mentioned, my guest is Nathaniel Rutherford. He is the uh, managing editor over at Rocky Top Insider. And, Nathaniel, we were laughing before we came on. Uh, I just think you're one lucky man right now not having to go through uh, two basketball coaching searches at the exact same time. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of my <laughs> biggest fears during the whole thing with, with UCLA courting Tennessee head basketball coach Rick Barnes was that you had – now, with that going on, which you had, of course, Tennessee was still at that time, it uh, looked like actively looking for a Lady Vols head coach. So my, my biggest fear is that we're going to have to cover two, like you said, simultaneous head coaching searches. And that just that, that was going to be a whole mess of a, of a headache right there. And, and thankfully, that is not <laughs> the case. I think we both end up kind of being wrapped up around the same time. Yeah, it did. And we're going to go ahead and jump into the women's side of that first, because like you said, we, we normally do all men's stuff here on the podcast and on the website, but we're not talking about a traditional uh, women's basketball job here. We're talking about the Tennessee Lady Vols job, and that's a little bit different, as we know. And like you said, that they have found replacement for Holly Warlick, and that is a former player, Kelly Harper, who most people probably know as Kelly Jolly, uh, who played there many years ago, has already had you know lots of years of experience uh, head coach-wise in the NCAA, and now she gets a chance to, to take over. You know, I guess the initial reaction you've seen maybe from fans, because like we say, following in someone's footsteps like the late Pat Summit is just not easy to do as we saw kind of with Holly Warlick. It's just not something you're going to be able to replicate. Uh, but what have you kind of seen as sort of the initial reaction and then just your overall perspective, I guess, on the hire itself? Overall, I think 
it, it's going to be tough to judge and it's going to have to be as much as I you know, kind of hate to say it, it's going to have to be a wait and see type of hire. And I, I think that's obviously true for most hires, but this one, I think more so than most, because yes, Kelly Harper has been coaching for 15 years as a head coach. So she, she has plenty of experience. It's not like you're, you know, look, look back seven years ago. It's not like you're turning to Holly Warlick who didn't have any head coaching experience. Yes. She had been at Tennessee and had served under Pat for multiple decades, but she'd never been a head coach. So you didn't know how she would be able to handle that. At least with Kelly Harper, you have the fact that, you know, she's been able to be a head coach and she's done a great job both at Western Carolina and at at Missouri state. The biggest question with her, and I, I think, most people would agree with me on this one is what about that NC state? You know, what happened with her there, the four years she was there, she, they made the NC double tournament the first year she was there. And then it went downhill the, the last two years. And she was fired after her fourth season. They never had a winning record in ACC play while she was there. Um, they, they finished with a 17 and 17 overall record her last year felt, you know, she got back on her feet and got the job at Missouri state immediately after that. She didn't even stay a year out of coaching. And I'm curious to see if her job at Missouri State that she did there, like I said, she she did a really good job. They took in the two NCAA tournaments and got to the Sweet 16 this past year. I'm curious to see if that was more of a bounce back of her learning from her mistakes at NC State and and you know learning on the job and, and realizing you know sometimes you have to to lose to learn how to win. So I'm curious if she learned from her mistakes at NC State or if her success both at Western Carolina and Missouri State show that she's better off maybe as a, a, a head coach of a smaller school, maybe can't handle the pressures of being at a big time school. And, and it's, it's going to be very interesting because, you know, NC state's at a, at a power five, power six program in basketball, but it's yeah. the, the pressures there are nothing. I mean, <laughs> not even the same atmosphere, the stratosphere of, of compared to what you're going to have as the lady of all's head coach. So I think it does help though, that she has obviously been here and been at Tennessee when they were at their highest level in the nineties and won three straight championships. She obviously played under Pat summit. She has, I think a little bit of that fire of Pat summit in her too. So I think the my initial reaction is that you're it's pointing more towards kind of a positive reaction, but it's definitely very much a wait and see approach to what exactly can she do at Tennessee. Well, and you kind of said it, and we'll get into the Rick Barr and stuff here in a second, but but I do think it, we always make those connections in coaching searches. You know, former players, people who are alums, and and that's kind of the first thing you always connect when people start saying, okay, who's going to replace uh, this person and all that. Um, and in this situation, you have someone who at least has those years of experience, like you said, uh, at the college level, at the power conference level, and now uh, has an opportunity to certainly uh, put put her mark, I guess, on this program in terms of moving forward. Because uh, it's as we know, it's it's a it's a job unlike any other, uh, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. But certainly, uh, that was not the only thing that that you were surveying, and Tennessee fans have been surveying here recently when it comes to basketball. And that was the whole Rick Barnes saga that sort of played out over the span of 24 to 36 hours, somewhere in there. Um, you know, I, I think the initial thoughts were that it was surprising because we looked around the SEC and we, we saw the, the job openings and never expected uh, this particular job to be open. And then once the reports started coming out, we're like, are we really going to have a situation where Tennessee is now going to be open? Uh, but Rick Barnes decides to stay after UCLA, you know, tried their hardest after, I guess, I don't know how many candidates they, they tried that on at this point, but uh, mm. now they have a head coach with Mick Cronin, so they don't have to worry about it. But I guess from your perspective, how this whole entire thing played out, was it surprising to you to – I don't think it was surprising to see him come back, but 
was it in any way surprising that maybe he entertained it as much as he did? It was initially. Um, I, I've seen it actually as we're recording this. I'm going to have an article published here in a little bit on RockyTopInsider.com from some quotes that Rick Barnes gave in an exclusive interview to Chris Lowe of ESPN. And he, he explained why. And, and the more stuff that was being reported through Sunday night and Monday, all, all during the day Monday, it, it the more I learned about it, the more it made sense as as to why he even would have considered UCLA. And, and you got to think, you know, Barnes is 64. He's, he's going to be 65 this year. He he grew up in some of his formative years as a student of the game were right around the peak of UCLA basketball. I mean, he, he was eight years old. I think eight years old, if I did the math correctly, when John Wooden won his first national championship with UCLA. And his that run of seven straight championships by the Bruins under John Wooden, that came when he was in grade school, you know, most likely in middle of high school. So his formative years of learning his sport and falling in love with the sport were when UCLA was at their their peak, at their dominance. And he, he mentioned uh, to Chris Lowe, he said that he, you know, I'm trying to find the quote here, but he, he mentioned that the way he looked at the UCLA job was much different than a lot of people because he says, I, I've, I've, you know, he said, I, I remember all those great teams and great players going back to Lucius Allen, Tommy Curtis, Lou Alcindor, and Bill Walton. He said he had a chance to spend quality time with Coach Wooden in his later years when he was able to go by and meet with him at his condo and have a lunch with him. So UCLA has been down for a while. I mean, they haven't made it past the Sweet 16. And in fact, they've missed a tournament four times in the last 10 years. So I think he saw a big opportunity to go and try to revitalize a blue blood program. You know, not, not just any blue blood, but a, a program that historically th- there hasn't been a more dominant college basketball program than, than what you saw in the, the 60s and 70s with UCLA. So I, I think that that was just so very appealing to him, especially when, like I said, in his most formative years, they were at their, at their peak and at their most dominant. So I, I was really borderline the entire time. I, I was very 50-50, but yeah. I think the whole, even when I was at my worst, I think it was 51-49 that he would stay at Tennessee. It didn't surprise me that he stayed, but it honestly, to a certain point, it, it wouldn't honestly have <laughs> surprised me a whole lot if he'd actually had left either. And you make a good point, and that's what I what he said to me was this biggest part of this whole entire thing. And that I, I think I saw someone say this too. He kind of saw the UCLA job in terms of what it can be potentially, whereas mm-hmm. most people are looking at it saying, well, this is not the UCLA job that it used to be, just based on that lack of, of success, you know, being able to sustain that type of success over so many years now. Um, but I think that's the difference when you look at it from a, a coaching standpoint, and that a lot of these coaches probably view it that way. Um, and I have no doubt that there were lots of people that were probably interested in that job. Uh, but like we said, if you're Rick Barnes, you've built something really good here. Um, and it's pretty clear, I think, at this point that you look at it and feel like he's in a good position where he can coach at Tennessee however long he wants to now based on the success they've had in recent years and retire there. And that's a good setup for him. He loves the area. We know that. Um, so I did kind of find that part fascinating. And, you know, I wonder, too, if there's also an aspect to this. You know, Rob Lanier, his, his longtime assistant, goes, takes the Georgia State job. Uh, what kind of effect do you think that has maybe moving forward? Because, I mean, someone like Rob, we know, has done a really good job recruiting-wise and all that types of stuff, um, has certainly played a huge role in this program's success. Uh, what kind of impact do you think that has maybe – in the present, but also uh, in the future for this program. Yeah, Rob Lanier leaving, it, it was, I mean, it's obviously not a, a gigantic blow, but it was a blow because it was someone that 
Barnes trusted for years. I mean, he Rob Lanier coached with Barnes at Texas, and he joined. He, he it, actually he coached there before with him. I think in '99 through 2001. Yeah. Left to go take the head coaching job at Siena and then came back eventually through you know, a couple other assistant jobs, but came back eventually to Texas with Barnes again. And Barnes took him from Texas when he was hired at Tennessee to come coach with him at, at Tennessee. He was his number one assistant. He did a lot of really good stuff. And their their personalities were different enough to where one that, you know, Barnes could do something and Lanier could play off that and do something totally different. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because Desmond Oliver one of his other assistants is has been considered the favorite for the Kennesaw State position, but that hasn't come to fruition yet. And now there's questions of whether or not Des Oliver will end up taking that job or not. If he doesn't, I think Des Oliver gets promoted to being that top assistant under Barnes. And then you'll see there's going to be interesting names to kind of keep an eye on as far as who he'll bring in. But at part of the negotiation with Barnes, it, it was never truly all about money for him about, getting a you know a big raise for himself i think it was about feeling respected and about feeling supported by tennessee and by the administration and also getting that money for his support staff because if if you remember two years ago it obviously wasn't under this administration it wasn't under former believe at the time it, it would have been under dave hart it wouldn't even been under john curry but two years ago tennessee had to self-report a minor violation of basketball because barnes took money out of his own pocket, yep. essentially, out of his own contract to give Des Oliver a raise because Tennessee had told him at the time it, it, it wasn't in the budget. So it, it, he, one of the biggest parts of this was not only filming respect and support uh, from Tennessee's administration, but getting a larger pool of money for his assistance. And that was something that ESPN detailed. We don't, we don't have the full contract details yet, but they had mentioned that he does have a, a larger salary pool for his assistance as, as well as multi-year contracts for some of them. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see if Des Oliver goes somewhere, then you have two assistants he has to hire. But if he doesn't, I think Des Oliver gets promoted, and I'll be intrigued to see who else he goes out and tries to find for an assistant. Yeah, and let's face it, too, and you know this. I mean, looking at the, the SEC coaching landscape now, it's just unlike anything we've seen in a long time. And it's clear that, that all these different schools like Tennessee and all the other ones that, that want to compete at the top of the SEC, you have to be able to put the resources into it. And that's not just from a, a facility standpoint. That's from a staff standpoint, all sorts of stuff you have to do uh, to stay at the top because we know it just gets tougher and tougher year after year. And like you said, that, that support staff, making sure uh, you, you're supporting them financially to a point to where you'll be able to compete uh, with other schools, that that's a huge part of this whole entire deal. But, um, okay, now Rick Barnes is back. So so now we're finished with the 2018-19 season. Another incredible season overall. I know there's a disappointment there in terms of not being able to advance past the Sweet 16. But now we look forward with knowing that Barnes is back, knowing that there could still be some reshuffling on the coaching staff. The roster itself, and this is what's so fascinating, is because the new draft rules and all that, which allow players to to have agents and yet still come back to school if they're not drafted and, and all these other different facets, your initial sort of thoughts on, on what this roster could look like next year, we, we've seen Grant Williams kind of leave open the option of coming back. We, we saw mm-hmm. Jordan Bone declare. We know Admiral Schofield's gone. Um, that there's a, from a recruiting standpoint, we know there's, there's a big time guy coming in, um, in Josiah James, who could really make an impact right away and will certainly be expected to, I I know it's hard to project this early, but how do you kind of see things shaking out from a roster standpoint going into next season? 
Next season, it's going to be very interesting to see how 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 the roster is constructed because right now, if both Grant Williams and Jordan Bone leave, you're going to have obviously I think Tennessee is going to pursue a couple of transfer options because if both those guys leave, they can't go into next season with two scholarships available. You'll, you'll have them pursue at least one, if not two transfers. If they both leave, I think the ball handling duties could fall to a true freshman uh, five-star Josiah James, who is kind of a six, five, six, six guard who can play a lot of different positions. But I, I think primarily Tennessee looked at him as being a point guard, but he can play kind of a, a point forward. He can play a, a shooting guard. He, he's a very versatile player, and it, it's the first five-star that Barnes has been able to bring in at Tennessee and the first five-star Tennessee's had since Robert Hubbs uh, several years ago. If Bone comes back, obviously he'll take point guard duties. If Grant Williams comes back, I think the offense will work largely through him for the most part, but you will also have uh, two senior guards in the Monte Turner and Jordan Bowden. Uh, you'll, you'll have DJ Burns, who registered this year, who's a very talented player who, who will be in the post as well. John Fulkerson, Eve Pons will be back as, as more probably more productive, more developed players. And you also have the the potential of what does what do Derek Walker and Zach Kent bring. Uh, I, I think Drew Pember, who's a part of the 2019 signing class, should redshirt this year most likely. But Devontae Gaines, I think, is a... He'd be, he'd be kind of undersized from a weight perspective. He's got really good length. I think he's kind of underrated. I'll be intrigued to see what he does. But even if both of those guys don't return next season... I still think that even look what they have, I, I still think this is an NCAA tournament team. I, I just do. I, I think obviously I don't think it'll be a rebuilding year. I think it'll be a retooling year. Uh, you know, that's kind of people will say it's what that kind of means the same thing, doesn't it? Not to me, not necessarily. I think rebuilding would imply <laughs> that Tennessee would be very much hoping to get into the NCAA tournament. It'd be kind of considered a, a maybe a success to get there. I think as a retooling year, you're still expecting it to get there. You're just not necessarily expecting a deep run of the tournament. So if both those guys leave, obviously the expectations won't be very high for Tennessee next year, but I still think they should be a tournament team. If one of those guys comes back, and I think it's a greater chance that Grant Williams comes back, interestingly enough, uh, rather than Jordan Bone, if Grant Williams comes back, there's not a reason why Tennessee next year you know, shouldn't be finishing in the in the top four, maybe top three potentially of the SEC, and, and you know still vying for a pretty decent seed in the NCAA tournament, making and maybe making another Sweet 16 run, and if they get lucky, maybe even further. But that's 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 we'll have to see how this plays out. And I'll, like I said, I'll be intrigued to see if they make any late additions in the 2019 or 2019 recruiting class, or if they go out and grab a couple of grad transfers, because there's definitely going to be, it looks like there's a ton of names yeah. in that transfer portal right now. So uh, there's a lot that could still happen. You could have, uh, there's also a chance that a couple other guys could uh, transfer off the roster. So you could have anywhere between one to maybe even four um, scholarship options open up for Tennessee this off season. And, Unless they miss out on the miss both Grant Williams, Jordan Bone leave, and they just miss out on bringing in a, a an impact transfer, there's in my opinion there's no reason why this team shouldn't be able to at least make it to the NCAA tournament next year. Yeah, and I think next year overall, like like we we've talked about this entire you know podcast is that there's so much so many unknowns when it comes to the rosters. We we have no idea, and we're we're talking here you know two days basically after the. The regular season is over, and there's so many things that, that still have to play out when it comes to the draft and all that, and transfers. And but, like we mentioned, we look ahead to that, and then kind of just going back to to this season, and we sort of talked about that that disappointing aspect to it. Certainly, any team that wins 30 games, um, for most people, that that's not a huge disappointment. But I'm just curious for you as someone who has covered this team, you, you've seen the reaction. 
from fans. Now that we're a little bit removed from that loss to Purdue, how do you, I guess, how do you kind of view the, this season overall? Because, you know, they didn't get to a Final Four, that they didn't get beyond the Sweet 16. And we know the aspirations were throughout the season that they wanted to, to have a chance to play for a national title. And it was a team that certainly had the capability to do that. How are you going to view this season as a whole here as we move forward? That is a very good question. It's one that we've asked here a couple different times on Rocky Top Insider, both on the website, on our podcasts, on our live shows we do. And right now, I, I still think and the last time I really asked this question was probably a week ago. But I think it's still maybe too soon. The, that, that kind of pain from that loss is still a little too fresh. You know, we, we're, as we're talking the night after the NCAA tournament ended with the championship game. So I still think it might be t- still the wounds might be a little too fresh. The pain might be still a little too real to really let that sink in. Because I, I asked the question, I think it was just a few days, maybe like four or five days after Tennessee lost to Purdue. I asked the question to my co-host Ben McKee on the podcast and, and to some fans too that, you know, look back to that 2007-2018 that was number one for a week and, and you know, at, at that point had won the most games in the, in the regular season or most games in the season in Tennessee history. Obviously, this year's team tied that. But I asked the question of, you know, look back that that team 11 years ago. How do you remember that team? It, it, most people, I don't think, would remember that blowout loss to Louisville in the Sweet 16. Most people remember beating Memphis and taking over number one and obviously, you know, losing to Vanderbilt that next, that next game too. But, but I think for the most part people remember the highs of that season. Remember, like I said, being number one for a week and, and remember just the, the euphoria that Bruce Pearl and that, that squad and, and that whole run to number one and that whole run of that just being a, such a historic season. They remember that more than the pain of losing in the tournament. And I, and I think with some time, this one will be more like that. I, I think this one will be different because it was more of a sustained success. It wasn't just, you're number one briefly and then it fell off, you know, you, your crown got knocked off your head after a, a few days being up there. In this case, Tennessee was number one for four straight weeks. They, they set a program record for uh, most consecutive wins with 19 and, and they got to the SEC tournament final for a second straight year and the hopes were very, very high and and that point back then in 2000, 2008, Tennessee had just never been there before. They'd, they'd been number two seed before but that was kind of a surprising season and, and th- that year, it still had a kind of a newness to it. And this year it was new because this is the first time it had to happen under Barnes, but Tennessee fans remembered that 2008 season. They remember that 2006 season of being a number two seed. And they remembered that, you know, the lead eight run hadn't happened at that point back in 2008 and the lead eight run had happened now at this point. So I don't think it'll be maybe remembered quite as fondly as the 2007, eight season, but I think with some time it'll soften it. I, I think overall, my opinion of it is that the, the ending was a disappointment but the season as a whole was probably the most fun I've had covering any team ever. I mean, it was just such a fun team. It was a team that, even if you're not a Vol fan, unless you're a fan of you know Kentucky or Vanderbilt or one of Tennessee's big rivals or Memphis, it was a team that was easy to root for. You know, a lot of likable guys. I think on the court, a lot of people did not like Avril Schofield uh, because he's very cocky <laughs> and, and he's not afraid to, to flaunt, flaunt. Even Grant will sometimes flex his muscles and stuff. But off the court, these are all genuinely fantastic human beings who are excellent representatives of the university. And like I said, they're easy to root for and there's a lot of fun to cover. So I, I would, I personally will remember it as a disappointing ending, but a, a very, very fun and very just exciting season to be a part of. 
Well, and I know we could talk for for hours about all the the fun stuff that that this team was able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And like we said, there's there's just so many sort of facets to this particular team that that was a lot of fun to watch. But um, to wrap up here, and this is one probably you don't get asked a lot, and it's just one I think from a fan's perspective, uh, maybe there there's not enough insight on. But you you cover Tennessee, you, you cover a program like we said that that has success. Um, you know, is expected to have success at lots of different sports. The nature just of, of being a, a beat writer now, um, from, from just, I guess, the, the landscape of where media is these days, what what do you find sort of a, as the most exciting parts of what you do? And what are maybe kind of the biggest challenges being a beat writer, I guess, in what we like to call uh, the, the social media era? That is, yeah, I don't think I've actually been asked that before. That's a really good question. Hey, that's what we do, um, Nathaniel. We like to uh, <laughs> we like to take it in different directions, give all sorts of people what they want. <laughs> I, I personally, what's the most rewarding and most exciting thing for me, and I think it's one reason why I, I tweeted this out not too long ago, too. It, it was shortly after Tennessee's season ended, actually, in, in basketball. I think part of the reason why this year I fell so much back in love with basketball and why I, I've kind of embraced it and really feel more led to do more basketball coverage even even here being in a football market is because I, I liked one of the most rewarding things like I said most fun things about my job of, of covering basketball this year was getting to know these players more and, and to get to hear the stories behind players and I think basketball does a better job of allowing that to happen because you only have you know five starters and you have a, a total of probably anywhere between you know, 10 to 15 scholarship players. And it, it's just hard to do that in football where you have 85 scholarship guys and, and a bunch of assistant coaches, you know, the head, the head coach and, and, you know, 10 on-field coaches and all these other things going on. It's harder to get more individual stories and to, you know, to control the narrative as much as you'd like to. Basketball, it's a lot easier to get those individual stories. And I think hearing things from Tom Sakowiak, Tennessee's SID, who had to have a procedure and Yep. middle of the season and that that was such a big story that made national attention uh rick barnes and just hit him and as a person and as a as not just as a coach but as off the court with him being a religious leader and him doing the stuff he has in the community in knoxville here and a lot of these these players too i mean Admiral schofield grant out grant, grant williams and, and kyle alexander and jordan bowden these are all like i said earlier fantastic people off the court i, I think that's been my most rewarding thing is is getting to tell the stories of these players that you know if it wasn't for the media, I don't know how effective they, their stories would be able to get out. You know, yeah. I, I don't know that you'd get to hear about Grant Williams and the fact that he can play multiple instruments and the fact that you know, he, he's he's majoring in, in uh, supply and chain management and that he just he, he's a he does all this different stuff that he does. He, he could have gone to Yale and he came to Tennessee instead. Or I'm a Admiral Schofield and his story of him growing up and why his his dad named him Admiral and uh, you know you saw that if you saw that Players Tribune video they did with him just. Yeah. really cool and, and, and just stuff about him and his father, him and his family and what it meant to him to be evolved and, and what it was for him to come through here and grow up and, and get to play basketball the way he did. And I think that is the most rewarding thing to me is, is, is getting to see these and hear these stories and tell these stories of these players. The the other question you asked about what's kind of the, I guess what you, you said, I can't remember the words you said exactly. The most, frustra- the most frustrating yeah, or challenging the, the challenges, I guess, that, that you would yeah. look at it. Because we know that there are some, um, you know, just based on how, how the media, I guess, is portrayed. But there's also, mm-hmm. like you said, there, there's lots of positives go along with it, too. I think some of the biggest challenges are maybe the daily grind of it. And also the fact that this isn't a... 
it's not a conventional, you know, seven to four, eight to five type of job. You, you don't have a clock in and clock out type of thing. I mean, news can, I mean, this whole Rick Barnes thing, proof, <laughs> right. news can break at any time. You I mean, were on you West have, Coast time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was on West Coast time. That, that was the, the most annoying thing. If he'd been if he'd been pursued by an East Coast <laughs> team, it would have been so much nicer. But news can happen at, at literally any time of the day, any time of the night. I mean, the T. Martin stuff, I think, when Tennessee hired T. Martin to come in to be their their receivers coach and stuff in football, I fired Mary Crooked. That got that got broke at like one or two o'clock in the morning Eastern time because once again he's operating a Western time or West Coast time because he was over in California. So, I mean that that's probably one of the most challenging and kind of frustrating things is that you'll be settling in to maybe have a nice relaxing night because I, I know I was on Sunday. I, I was ready to. <laughs> hopefully get some sleep and hopefully be able to kind of to kind of relax and and not have to worry about a whole lot and then i saw the news come out that barnes had emerged as a serious candidate for ucla and i thought okay and then i did that stuff and i thought well okay nothing else is going to happen and the more stuff coming start coming out and i was like well i guess i'm in for a long night for tonight but i think that's probably the most challenging and then like you mentioned you kind of hinted there and said that the way media is portrayed nowadays that's also kind of a frustrating part that I, I personally haven't had to deal with as much because, you know, I don't work for an ESPN or a, a Fox Sports. You know, I don't work for a huge national uh, type of company. So I don't have to deal with a lot of the backlash a lot of media get for for just even having opinions. You know, things that people will say that even has nothing to do with sports and people will say, well, stick to sports. You know, I don't get that a whole lot, thankfully. I also don't post a whole lot that doesn't have to do with sports uh, like on my Twitter. But I, I, I don't get as much type of that 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 backlash of stuff from people who just for whatever reason hate media and, and think that you know we're all making stuff up and that we we have these we do these things we have these all all of us have these anonymous sources that um that we're, we're quoting and that we're just doing stuff to to you know get on the bad side of teams i think that's that's part of it too like i said i haven't had to deal with a lot of that so it's not my number one thing but that that has been a thing that I've seen steadily grow over the past couple of years, but I, I think for me, the most challenging thing, like I said, is the fact that it can be a grind. It, it can be a little exhausting. It can kind of wear you down a little bit. And especially when you have, and I think as much as I love March and March madness for basketball, it's my favorite time of the year this year. I, it kind of hit me with Tennessee being as good as they were in basketball, but you have that going on. You have spring practice and football going yeah. on. You had the late balls going on. You have UT baseball starting up and softball. I mean, <laughs> we had five major sports all doing something at the same time and it just was like wow this is crazy so i think that's kind of the most challenging is the daily grind and the fact that i mean anything can happen at any time and, and it just you got to be prepared for it well you nailed that if anyone thinks i work hard uh see how hard nathaniel works and then come back to me like we said <laughs> people who have to cover one team with all these different sports i i'm lucky to be able to cover uh you know one conference in basketball and do some national stuff in college basketball but uh, th- that is a hard thing to do, but like you said, I think storytelling is such a huge part of this whole thing, and and that's what we're all trying to do. Whether whether it's for me from an SEC basketball perspective, telling the story of just how much this this league has grown and sort of the the rich tradition, or whether it's you, like you said, do, doing the individual stories, it, it is so much easier to do in basketball, and I think that's why we love it. it it's much easier, I guess, to to be able to to learn more about all of these different players because there's not as many on the team and, and there's more time to do it, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And Nathaniel, like I've said before, you do great work. Uh, before we wrap this thing up, uh, be sure to let everyone know where they can find you and all that good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Blake. I appreciate uh, you taking time every night to interview me and then for having me on here. If you, if you want to read our stuff, like I, I mentioned earlier in the interview, I'll have a, a post up here. I'm not sure when this will come out, but we'll have a post all, all on Rocky Top Insider about Rick Barnes, some stuff from spring practices with Tennessee. We, we had 
uh, a press conference with T. Martin, with Derek Ansley, and with Jeremy Pruitt. All on the same day, we had a press conference with Grant Williams, the basketball team. So Tuesday was a, a very busy day, as, a, <laughs> as was Monday and Sunday. But our website is rockytopinsider.com. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Rocky Top Insider as well. And if they, if you all want to follow me, I'm at Mr. Underscore Rutherford on Twitter. Well, Nathaniel, listen, man, I really appreciate you doing this, and no doubt we'll uh, we'll catch up here again. Uh, long off season ahead, but uh, I know it'll be a lot of fun, so we'll catch up with you again here soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, that was the conversation with RockyTopInsider.com managing editor Nathaniel Rutherford. Uh, fascinating just insight into not only the Tennessee program, but but all the different aspects that go along with it. Um, looking at that team, as we know, the, the success they've had the past several seasons, um, but still having those unknowns when it comes to the roster, uh, it'll be a little while before we know exactly what things are going to look like for the Vols heading into next season. As we say, we, you know, we're talking about this just a couple days after the NCAA title game is over with. And so there's plenty still that has to be worked out, not only from a coaching standpoint, uh, but also from a roster standpoint. And we'll probably uh, learn more about who will be coming back, uh, who could possibly be transferring in, all that good stuff uh, as we go throughout the next uh, month or so. So uh, thanks again to uh, Nathaniel for joining me here on the podcast. And uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I did with uh, former uh, Alabama uh, Director of Basketball Operations, Colton Houston. Uh, we are kind of revamping things here on the podcast, and there was lots of great feedback uh, for the podcast that, that we did with Colton, and we're going to continue to do more of these sort of longer, uh, in-depth type of discussions here as we move forward throughout the off season. As I always say, if you're someone just listening for the first time, uh, we cover SEC basketball pretty much year-round. And so if you want more insight into that, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Discover any podcast app you use. Uh, search for Southeast Tubes. Uh, that way you get these episodes uh, sent to you as soon as they go up. And yes, we, we are doing these more frequently now uh, and have lots of great guests lined up, whether that's coaches, players, uh, different people that, that do different things when it comes to SEC basketball as we try to continue to, to sort of uh, give you all the insight, the perspective that you need uh, to keep things rolling here throughout the off season. So uh, southeastsoups.com, find all the written stuff there as well as the podcasts. Uh, lots of great stuff on the way. So uh, thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>